Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 34 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, Fozzer Forrester, and joining me in our freshly painted orange sidewinder, we have Head of Station Entertainment, Mr. Christopher Jarvis. Hello there. I was, sorry, I wasn't expecting you to come to me first, so I had a mouthful of beer. Hello, Hading. <laughs> All right, mate. Uh, we have Chief of Operations, Mr. John Stabler. Good evening. And finally, we have the station commander and notable Lave historian, Mr. Alan Stroud. I am here in the loft, complete with fan and progress bar. Progress bar. What are you currently up to? We'll get into this in a bit more detail, but what are you currently up to? Uh, currently downloading the game. As in, what percentage are you up to? Ah, okay. Well, it doesn't say a percentage on the screen. Uh, it just has a bar. Give me your best guess. Oh, I reckon we're... Uh, mm, 36 Okay, so it's going to be a long night Okay, well, now this is a rather special episode of Blade Radio as uh, we are the fir- for the first time recording the show live with an online audience so uh, you can't hear them but they're all there in the Blade Radio TeamSpeak channel uh, the reason we have a live audience for this show is because we're attempting to cover the opening couple of days of the launch of Standard Beta, which is happening uh, at the moment. Uh, for those of you that haven't been following the development roadmaps, uh, we've been through a number of rounds of community game testing, depending on how much you've backed on the Kickstarter, uh, starting with Alpha, then moving on to Premium Beta, and the launch yesterday uh, is the Standard Beta, which will be the final round before it gets released later this year to the remaining Kickstarter backers which will then be the Gamma stage. Uh, Once Gamma is over, then the game will be on retail release. No official dates on that yet, but Frontier is saying it should be out sometime later in the year. Okay, so before we get started and I explain how tonight is going to run, let's stick with tradition and find out what the Lave Raider crew have been up to this week, starting with uh, Mr. Stroud. Uh, Well, at the moment, I'm writing Chaos Reborn um, in terms of the world design with Julian Gollop and um, working on the fiction novel, uh, which has taken a lot of time. Uh, we're extension on the house, which is always fun. So it's a bit like living in a building site, but uh, you know, not quite as glamorous as that sounds. No, really, not quite as glamorous as that sounds. Um, and getting no time to play um, this lovely beta that's come out, and hearing everybody saying how great it is, it's it's really gutting because you know I've I've had no time to to you know to do anything with it. Um, one thing I do need to do is I'm kind of hoping to do a little bit of changing around to the um, to the playing machine and what have you because um, it's a bit hot up here and at the same time um, the internet connection's not very good so um, make some changes So are you hardwired up in the loft or are you just trying to go through Wi-Fi? At the moment just through Wi-Fi um, which is, is okay, you know, it's, it's been fine for the last 6-8 months and it's been fine for Alpha and fine for, for Prem Beta uh, but I think now I'm going to have to uh, hardwire, which is 
I, I have a power line. I have a you know power line adapters. Um, it's just a matter of getting onto the same electrical circuit the where the the router is yeah. is you know is is sort of next or plugged to. So uh, a case of of basically running a cable from the loft down into uh, the office immediately below, and then uh, and then power lining to the router which is downstairs. Yeah, well, I mean, you can certainly tell that you're in the loft because we've got that wonderful sort of wind effect that we have in the background when we talk to you when you're up there. I, I don't know if that's me, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I assure you I haven't had any curry. <laughs> um, just tell us a little bit more about the, the Chaos Reborn stuff. I've noticed there have been a couple of new updates for the Chaos Reborn. How's the, the sort of official universe coming along, and how's the uh, the official book that you're writing coming along? Uh, yeah, it's not bad. Um, we've... We've done quite a lot, actually. We're, we're working with the, the main backers at the moment. So the guys are at the top tier of backing gods of the new you know, world. And so we're working with them on their individual characters and on how they fit into the history. Um, and then regularly talking with Julian about how the, uh, you know, how the story and the, the history sort of shapes out. Um, it's, it's a bit different to how I work with Frontier. With Frontier, basically, uh, there was... Michael Brooks, who basically I sent stuff to Michael. Michael sent it onto the team, and then the team decided whether they were using it or not. With this, it's it's pretty much I work directly with Julian, so you know we we basically chat on Skype most days uh, and just kind of thresh stuff out as things go. Um, so yeah, the writing's going really well. Great stuff. Okay, well let's move on to Mr. Stabler. What's been your week? Um, I've been quite busy at work as usual. Uh, but I have had the odd moment to do some things for myself. Um, the first thing is I've started my second uh, Chaos short story. Um, or, well, actually uh, planning it out. Um, I've actually had time to play uh, Standard Beta. I've actually um, got a Viper now, if that's any indication of how much I've been playing it. Um, uh, and that's about it, really. Great stuff. Mr. Jarvis, what have you been up to, sir? Yeah, I've, I've just had to sort of uh, do the elite equivalent of pulling up along the side of the road. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've just got into the beta, so for the first time, and uh, the first thing well, the first thing that happened is the space station disappeared and I got a hardware crash. Uh, and the second thing that's happened is I've now approached it and said, oh, can I have a docking request? And said, no, no, you can't dock. So I, okay, so I'm going to sit outside the station now and talk to you guys. Um, what I've been doing, yes... Uh, sorry, what was the question? What have you been doing apart from failing to dock? I have been uh, dealing with a child who won't go to bed um, <laughs> a lot of evenings. <laughs> last night she went to bed. This is, this is, she's 10 months old now. Uh, and last night eventually got her to go to bed at about 10 p.m. Uh, <sighs> just let her spin round and round and round like a crazy person until she just ran out of energy and sort of fell asleep. Um and yeah, we're still working on the audiobooks. Uh, the exciting stuff is I've actually got some recordings now booked in for the Lave Revolution audio drama, which is very exciting. But basically, to give some context, because there's been so much work on the other kind of abridged, un sorry, unabridged narrated fiction, um, there's, there's been kind of so much work to do on that. There hasn't been any real need to uh, to really sort of rush with recordings. But uh, I'm in a stage now where it's, you know, I've got, I've got actors lined up for uh, the major parts. We've got you know a good recording session coming up on Sunday, uh, and looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting more of that uh, in the can. Great stuff. I mean, 
has there been any sort of idea about when these books are going to release? Are you going to try and get the audio stuff out maybe later on in the year when the when the game's actually launching, or is it looking more like next year? Oh god, it better not be next year. Um, well, no, <laughs> I say that. I say that. I mean, obviously, it's down to the publisher when you know this stuff is is going to be released as a, as a you know a commercial thing um i know that previously we've said in terms of the kickstarter backers we'll deliver stuff to them kind of as it's done uh yeah i mean it's we've obviously not made fantasticon which was the original kind of time we really wanted to do it by uh, but then lots of things have changed on the project since we originally um, wanted to do that so it's sort of been a bit of a moving target but um, I certainly think we want to be done before the game's out or you know Gamma I mean Gamma was always the thing we wanted to hit um, so yeah I'll say that <laughs> <laughs> so we'll say Gamma and keep our fingers crossed on the subject of Fantasticon just whilst we're talking about it uh, I s- I'm hoping that I should be able to get there. Alan, I think you're trying to get there, and Jarvis, are you getting there as well? I will be there. Yeah, I'm I'm driving up very, very early on the Saturday morning. I'm currently being Dan as to what time he needs me there for. And John, I take it because you live in deepest, darkest Wales, you probably won't be making the journey up to hell. Uh, not just that, uh, I'm probably going to be on holiday by the looks of it. Um, ah, excuses, excuses. Yeah, I haven't had one for a long time. So um, I think the last time... I went abroad, was Portugal, but that wasn't a holiday, really. It was more of a after my son, uh, <laughs> making sure he didn't hurt himself in any way because he was quite young. Um, but before that, it was my honeymoon, so I, I haven't really had a lot of R&R uh, in the last I few suppose, years. I suppose we'll give you a pass for this one, then. Yeah. So um, it's such a shame because I really wanted to go, um, but it's looking unlikely at the moment. They've got Daleks and everything, mate. You're missing a trick. I don't. I'm not a Doctor Who fan, mate. So that's not going to convince me. <laughs> How can you live in Cardiff and not be a Doctor Who fan? Oh, it does my head in. I'm trying to get to work in the morning, and I'm tripping over Capaldi as he's doing his acting <laughs> in Queen Street. It does my head in. <laughs> oh. uh, traffic Capaldi jam doing his acting in Queen Street says something, anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- th- I don't know why, but th- I think that um, basically Queen Street is like the main um, uh, retail street in Cardiff. Uh, and I think whatever series they're working on, they've decided to use it as a, as a, like a regular location because they seem to be filming out there, you know, at least once a week. And it's just annoying trying to get past this massive kind of horseshoe of people around, you know, where they're filming because they just take up the whole street. I can't believe you're so grumpy about it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, if it was something else, then you know, I might be joining those people, but not for Doctor Who. Fair enough. Well, um, that's the main uh, Lave Radio crew, and obviously because we've got the uh, the live chat channel uh, this time, we've had to uh, rope in one of the members of the community, a voice you should probably recognise from Dockers, and also his new podcast that's just launched. Uh, we have Ben Moss Woodward with us. Hello, Ben. Hey, I'm Chris. Yes, I am pressing the right buttons. <laughs> Welcome aboard, and thanks very much for stepping in and trying to keep the, uh, the the chat channel as clean as possible. Anytime, I'll just I'll break the website later. <laughs> um, what have you been up to this week, mate? I've been mainly working like the rest of you guys, um, but I've also managed. Uh, last night we had the fun of the races of the download, so you know we're all sitting in here 
talking away, talking away. Is it there yet? Is it there yet? It's out. And then all of a sudden we all press the upgrade button. And then we had, you know, I'm I'm at the B part of beta. And just <laughs> gradually describing the progress bars going up, which was great fun. Yeah, it might have been great fun for you guys, because Sid and I got up to about 50% and then the uh, the install basically crashed on me. Uh, I was not having the best of times in that race. So, uh, okay, well, I mean, let's let's go straight into it then and talk about the beta. This is uh, standard beta. This is, um, how much did this one cost? Can everybody remember? Without going into the shop? Was this the 35 or the £50 one? I think so. I think it was the £50 one. £50, yeah. This is the brilliant thing about having the chat channel working, you know, they, those guys know, so yes, according to uh, Teredach, it's definitely £50. So it's the £50 one, which puts it into the bracket of being uh, slightly more affordable than the likes of the Alphas. So we've had a bump. Uh, I was speaking to uh, Michael Brooks today, and he says from their latest records, uh, this round of beta has actually added 20,000 new players uh, to the Elite Universe. Can I just interject here and say Commander Radar prefers to be called Reichdar? Yeah, I just see. I tried to say Rachtar, but uh, I couldn't remember exactly how he pronounced it. So uh, apologies for that, Mr. Radar Rachtar. Anyway, so talking about the uh, the beta. So in theory, uh, I think we're somewhere up into the regions of around about sort of seventy thousand players now testing out the Elite Dangerous Universe, something in that region, I believe. So let's talk about the, the stability of the build, the performance, the networking, the graphics, that sort of stuff. Um, I'm going to kick us off because it's a little bit of a downer in the fact that uh, I've got a, a mission critical bug on mine uh, where the menu basically won't take input. So I can boot up the game, I can get into the main menu, uh, but as soon as it connects online, uh, basically the menu stops working and you get like a, a continuous scrolling noise uh, that the the devs are aware of, but unfortunately isn't fixed, so uh, I can't actually play the game, which is a little bit uh, on the frustrating side. So uh, if I, at any point during this podcast, sound you know, slightly bitter about oh, the fact it's so pretty and it's so much fun and it's so great, it's it's basically because I am very bitter about the fact that everybody else is playing it and I'm not. So You, you say that. I've just, I've just had my second hardware crash. Um, pre- <laughs> preceded by, uh, and some people will feel very nostalgic about this, uh, a return of the incredible stealth space stations. <laughs> um, so I was actually docked and in the um, the sort of servicing bay for the ship, and suddenly it vanished from around me. <laughs> so it's interesting that that's come back because it kind of suggests that I don't know. I don't know what it suggests. It must be somehow linked to the number of players or network because the, the stations originally started disappearing when lots of people were connecting, and then they fixed it, and now they've added all these you know thousands of people, and the, the space stations have started disappearing again. So there's obviously something I don't know really weird going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was all about who who was the island, wasn't it, and who was actually taking ownership of the uh, of the system assets and stuff. And when they jumped out, then the station would disappear. So it, it then took a while uh, for that uh, station to then go on to somebody else's island or somebody else uh, holding it um, locally. So yeah, again, with the fact that we've had, got so many more, so many new players, it probably is uh, a little bit to do with that. But I mean, John, you've probably had the most amount of play time out of all of us. What are you finding in terms of the stability? Um, well, it's actually been okay. I mean, when I first started playing last night, they first kind of threw the switch on the servers, and everyone was trying to get on at the same time. It was, you know, th- there was a major problem with the servers. Um, 
but once people I think some people gave up and went to bed um, it started working and it became a lot more consistent and then I've been playing it today when I assume everyone's in work and it's actually been fantastic it I haven't hasn't crashed once on me uh, today um, and I had the disappearing station last night um, but nothing since then so it, it must be related to some network code which obviously you know if if it's under a lot of strain from players it fails I guess yeah absolutely and we've already had I mean this happened in the last beta as well um, that they the frontier developments as soon as they launched the game within yeah sort of 12 hours uh, they'd released a, yeah, their first patch and so we've already had the first patch of the of the beta uh, I'm not entirely sure what that one actually solved um, Ben do you know what that actually uh, fixed it was just a whole load of random bugs I think um, I don't have the actual pastures and ahead in front of me there's about 30 odd things in it okay so you know you'd imagine that's <laughs> those 30 odd things were the things that they were probably desperately trying to get finished uh, before they pushed the button on it last night I mean it was a late release wasn't it something around about sort of what was it, 30, 10 o'clock when they finally pushed the button on it yeah but did you see Michael's um change log that was posted with the announcement of the beta. I mean he had to do f something like four individual posts because the change log broke you know, the limit on, on how long a post can be. Um, just phenomenal amount of stuff really that they've just had. And I think it gives something of an insight into what's actually involved in making it all happen. Because uh, yeah, I mean I've, 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 you know, in previous in my previous IT career I've waded through a lot of change logs in my time but I don't think I've ever seen one that huge <laughs> you've never seen one that huge really doing this <laughs> sorry that's only you, after you were half a bottle of beer yeah because you, you, you were talking about earlier you know trying to download the, trying to, you weren't getting any <laughs> so apparently in terms of the elite beta you're not getting any which does make me wonder which version of the game you're playing because uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't got the, um, the circle of trust version installed <laughs> Uh, well, one of the things that um, the I'm not even going to go there. One of the things that the the update has um, has added is obviously the the new additions to the the store. Uh, so maybe we can move on to those and talk a little bit about the the decals. And uh, again, not to sound too bitter, but I have bought two new paint jobs for my Sidewinder uh, that I can't see because I can't join the game. John, have you done any of the uh, the online purchasing for for ship paintwork? Yeah, well, they weren't made available until the patch today. Because um, I checked the store this morning and I didn't see anything there. Um, so by the time they released them, I was no longer in a Sidewinder or an Eagle. So I kind of didn't buy one. Um, if they want to bring one out for the Viper, I'll, I'll definitely buy one. I'll buy three. Which kind of gives me pause for thought, because I was thinking about it, looking at the, the decals for the ships. Um, I kind of, maybe wrongly, but I kind of see the Sidewinder as being this very bog standard ship that that really the aim is to kind of get out of as soon as you have enough money for anything decent. So the idea of buying kind of a specific decal for a ship that you're then going to trade in seems a bit bizarre to me. I, I think I was assuming that there would be some sort of thing whereby you can um, buy like a theme paint job for a ship. And then once you've bought that decal, you can apply it to whichever the, of the ships 
it kind of yeah. belongs to you at any given moment. Does that make sense? It does, but at the same time, you've got to remember that uh, Frontier are talking about having multi-ship ownership. Multi-ship ownership. Yeah. Uh, so you can have lots of ships. So if you do get a paintwork for a Sidewinder and you want to use your Sidewinder as a dedicated pirate ship, even though you've got a, a hauler, you can go back and pick it up again. No, no, I get, I get that. I just think that approach to it is maybe more niche. I mean, we won't know until the game kind of pans out and people do have, you know, multiple ship options. Um, it just, yeah, it just seems strange to me. It would be a bit like playing Doom and buying like a custom skin for the pistol. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a nice uh, way I, of looking at it. It's you're surprised how often you end up back on a pistol in Doom. <laughs> well, that is that is also true. Yeah, no, just I don't know. It struck me that it was just a bit. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in thinking that ships in Elite are kind of a bit disposable because you normally just sort of, you know, we've talked previously about the way you certainly used to play the old versions like Frontier. You kind of work your way through the ships until you get to something impressive. And I can just, I don't know, I just think maybe skins for the lower end ships is a bit of a weird thing. Well, maybe it I'm... is, but I mean, maybe maybe that sort of brings us on to where, where, yeah, the other point about all of this, which is the you know, the pricing of these and whether or not you know you are happy to spend the price, which in this case is uh, two pounds for some of them and three pounds for the more expensive one. I mean, at that price point, do you think it's fair enough to you know to buy it for the the, the ship that you're going to be in for you know maybe a few days or a week or two weeks? I don't think it's so much the money. I think there's more an issue of kind of attachment and effort. I think even if there were free kind of, you know, because there's all kinds of games. I mean, you and I both play games on the 3DS and mm. you can't move on that system without some game where you can customise every last inch of your kind of clothing or, you know, what your face looks like. And I think, to be honest, even if it was free, but I had to spend time choosing what I wanted my ship to look like, I don't think I'd bother spending the time on a Sidewinder. Interesting. I think I'd just use it as a basic ship. I think once I bought something I was a bit more attached to and a bit more proud of, I probably would, you know, maybe buy a skin, you know, do whatever to it. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it's. But I think I mean the other thing we have to consider, of course, is the game is in beta, <laughs> and in many respects, the the skins they're selling and the price point they're selling them at, you know, we need to be. This is also kind of part of the testing process yeah they're testing the ground to see what people will play what what people will pay for and what things are popular and as you know someone made a kind of valid point on the forums earlier it's not totally clear why some of the skins are three pounds and some of them are two pounds because presumably the three pound ones didn't create didn't um, didn't require 50 percent more man hours to produce <laughs> no you know in some respects there's just a thing there of well we've got this skin at three pounds we've got this skin at two pounds what does that mean for people's buying habits and what they do because um, of course if everyone goes out and buys the three pound ones because they think they're a status one then by the time the game comes out all the skins will be three pounds yeah no that's absolutely right or they'll have a, a 50 pound gold skin <laughs> oh please no please no Let's you want anything in there. Chrome, you got to pay 50 quid for it. <laughs> uh, even though it would be uh, it would be very pretty. Now, uh, talking about pretty, uh, John, as you've had uh, time to play it, and Ben, as you've had time to play it, what, uh, what are the sort of the key standout 
features or, or things that you notice going into to the beta? I mean, you, we're hearing lots about the fact that overall it seems to have had a bit of a, a dust up, and it's a you know, graphically it's much improved. What what have you found? You can go first, Ben. Uh, I like that we've got the blue sky from Frontier back again. We do. It's definitely it's a lot bluer than it was. I didn't notice that. I'll, I'll, I'll try and take a look and confirm it or deny it. <laughs> I, found some, I found some of the space has got a much more, it's a much lighter tinge to it, I think. So maybe it's the dust particles or something like that. If that's the case, I'm probably going to cancel my download now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as drastic as it was in Frontier, but... It's it's still black, Alan, don't worry. It's it's more black than it is blue, don't worry. You don't have to worry. That was I mean, the deal breaker for me with Frontier. <laughs> Is it the, I mean, Ben, is that just uh, in certain systems? Because obviously, you know, certain systems closer or... I've only noticed it in a couple of systems, but I've not really... It's a very subtle thing that I, I noticed it when I first logged in. I was like, this isn't the pitch black that I remember. This is, I can see more bits and bats here. It's a bit lighter. Um, and we've also got new space stations though as well. Okay, well, uh, I mean, certainly you're getting backed up in the uh, in the chat channel as well. Jack Weaver says that it's more of a sort of a dark bluish, um, and there's oh, a yeah, change in the contrast blue or overall. Crazy like that, <laughs> like Frontier. But tell us a little bit about the uh, the space stations. Now they did say that there were going to be more variety, uh, more variations in the uh, in the space stations. So obviously we've had the uh, the dodecahedron, uh, we've had the the Orbis one. Uh, what else have you seen out there? It's very much following along the same lines as, as the Orbis. I've seen a... Oh, the Orbis in Aulin was one large ring, one small ring. <laughs> and I've seen... Um, I've seen a double large ring and a single large ring in other systems now. Right, okay. So they're basically just taking the components uh, from the Orbis and sort of exactly. shifting them around to make different configurations. The componentized stuff. Okay, and what about uh, what about the inside of the stations? Uh, again, we've seen some pictures coming out that, that, that certainly, you know, those stations that are around the you know, the more expensive systems, they've had a bit of an overhaul as well. Yes, they've definitely gone off and up to the textures again, like three D trees and things like that in the parkways of the orbises. And does it look drastically different to uh, to what it did before? It's an evolution rather than a revolution, I'd say. Okay. John, anything else that you've noticed in the um, in the beta that stands out? Um, yes, they they've changed fixed weapons, so the auto aim is a bit more obvious and it's a bit more powerful. Um, what I thought was that uh, most people were running around with gimbaled weapons because they were so much easier, um, and the fixed weapons, although they were more powerful, they were. I think the the, the level of difficulty was just too much of a barrier for some people um, but now I'm using all fixed weapons because they are actually full um, so for me that's a big change I find super cruise I, I don't know what they've done to it but it just feels a lot better um, <laughs> in what sense mate I, I find that um, you know the acceleration deceleration um, you know arriving at places it just it's a lot smoother and it's, it feels a lot more predictable. Um, right, I'm, okay. over, I'm overshooting things a lot less than I was before. Um, and I think um, Grant Psycho Cow agrees with me because he, he was really raving about it as well on Facebook last night. So for me, it's a lot better. I know there's some people on the forums who just don't like the Super Cruise at all. 
Um, I actually think it's you know a, a fundamental fundamental part of the game, and it's what makes it different from you know every nearly every other space game, I guess, at the moment. So um, that's a that's a, a big plus as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean that's been one of the interesting things of people. I mean, that every iteration, uh, every development stage where we had new people coming into the universe, you know, that are sort of experiencing it for the first time, you, you hear people complain about things that have been you know, set in stone almost sort of from DDF level all the way through. And it's been interesting watching the new uh, beta players come in and say, you know, this Super Cruise idea is horrible. <laughs> you know, it needs, to, it, ne- it needs to come out of the game. It needs to just be, you know, you jump into a fixed point of the, you know, the system. Uh, which, considering how much you know, the community fought tooth and nail to change that uh, that dynamic round, uh, just goes to prove that you know you, you can't please all people all the time. But um, what about seeing other people in Super Cruise? Has that managed to make its way in? Yeah, that's in there. Um, it's not. How does so that it's... dynamic work? Um, it's interesting. I haven't had a lot of time to play around with it because. Um, to guarantee myself some stability, I kind of went in a private group for a bit. To, to do a lot of my testing um, but this evening now I've just jumped in and I, I've seen people and um, the effects are quite interesting you see these kind of blue like blobs of energy shooting around everywhere and you can you can lock on to them and try and catch up with them and stuff like that so um, I think that one's going to be um, uh, it's a bit of an unknown at the moment it's going to have to be a bit more thoroughly uh, tested I guess see how people get on with it I haven't been inter- interdicted by a player yet and is that actually possible? No. What's no. the uh, What's the process for interdiction? Is there a, a, a new uh, piece of equipment that you need to get for your ship? I haven't seen one, uh, but then again, I might have just missed it because I've obviously I've just been looking for guns. Okay. Well, don't know if Ben knows any better. I don't know any better either. I'm afraid. I think it's probably one of those things that's going to be coming in in the uh, in the near future. Uh, other new things coming into the game, obviously you've already mentioned it, John, uh, but the two new ships that we get to fly, uh, the Viper and the Lacon Type 6. Uh, tell us about the Viper. The Viper is ridiculously fast. Really? It is, it is ridiculously fast. It's um, very manoeuvrable. Um, when you boost, it goes up to 500 meters a second. Um, it makes... You know when you come out of Super Cruise... Um, Usually, you know, you're like, oh, great, I'm going to have to spend the next five minutes flying towards this massive space station before I can actually yeah. dock. And and today I was actually in a hauler for a bit, um, tra- you know, because the, the natural step up from the Sidewinder was to get some more cargo space so I could, um, you know, just simply uh, make cash as fast as possible. But that hauler, you really notice it when you get into a Viper um, you know, you just fly along to a station. You're in there within, a, you know, less than a minute. So yeah, it's really fast. It's got four hard points, the same as the Cobra, two class fours and two class twos. Nice. So it is a real battleship. It is designed for combat. And what about cargo? Uh, eight slots for cargo. So it's it is smaller than the Cobra, um, but um, at the same time those slots do make a difference because there's quite a few missions which I'm sure we're going to talk about um, where you have to take five tons of cargo right uh, so obviously you can't do that in a sidewinder or an eagle uh, but you can do it in a viper interesting what about the cockpit um I it's I think the eagle cockpit looks better 
Um, but the one, the one I've got, it seems to look quite um, battered. Like I've got a second-hand ship, um, which you know some people might like that, I guess. But personally, but that, that's not going to sit pretty with you, is it, Mister Turtle Wax Stabler? Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's not even an option for me to go and fix it. So you know, pay the cash to get it fixed. But uh, I, I think the ship's got character, definitely. Um, and I, I guess the more people we see flying around in them, you know, the more we'll kind of get a gist of that. I mean, but there's always loads of police around these um, the stations flying them. So, um, and yeah, so I, I highly recommend it. If if you're into dogfighting, it is without a doubt the best ship at the moment. Uh, I take it you haven't uh, you haven't been or. Ben, anybody been in the Lake on Type 6 or has anybody seen a Lake on Type 6 flying around? I haven't even seen a Lake on Type 6 owned by a commander. I've seen a couple of them flown around by NPCs. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, the chat channel, it doesn't look like many people have actually come across them. Um, and I think, John, it's, it's fair to say that you're probably a little bit ahead of the curve in the fact that you're in a Viper. I think most people um, are still pretty much in their sidewinders and eagles at the moment. Well, I was... I know there's a couple of people who've still managed to find hacks, um, but if we discount them and we just look at players who've you know gone out and gr grinded their ships, I saw uh, one of the mods in a Cobra uh, just before we started recording. So I mentioned the, I was going to say you've got a you've got a name and shame. Uh, it's Alexej. Right. Uh, so um, I miss, I don't think he's a, a dirty hacker. Um, I. I it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think that um, if I'd had the whole day on it, I could have got into a Cobra. Right, well certainly uh, Mr. Winard in the chat room is around about 20,000 away from a, from a Cobra. But uh, obviously with him living in the States, uh, he's had all sorts of time to uh, to play on this when it's been quiet, when all of us European guys have been uh, fast asleep or still trying to download it. Uh, you mentioned missions, and this is one where I'm probably going to get the chat room to come in and, and start talking a little bit about what um, experiences they've had but uh, take us through the uh, how the mission system is working and what sort of missions you've tried out so yeah the the missions are available um, on the bulletin board which is a new feature uh, when you dock um, and you get varying types of missions I, I think that in the final game we're going to see a lot more variations because at the moment it's you know, kind of go and kill X number of these types of ships, you know, whether it be federal, whether it be um, civilian or whatever. Or, And then you've got um, a kind of hunter pirate, which is, you know, there's this known pirate in the system. And I, I take it the idea for players is to go through all of the different combat scenarios or the uh, resource extraction sites to find this, this pirate uh, and then take him out. Uh, and then we've got similar to what we had in Frontier, which is can you take this item to another place? Um, but instead of packages, they do um, tons of cargo at the moment. So they'll say, for instance, oh, we've heard that they're desperate for a ton of leather in Iranian or somewhere like that. Can you take it? Um, uh, and they seem to be paying really, really well for some reason. Um, in fact, I put my progress down to that type of mission. Because really? you're able, yeah, you're able to trade between systems, um, you know, just your normal trade routes, and then you just check the bulletin board, pick up something, 
Um, you know, and you can get anywhere between two and a half and five thousand credits for just dropping off a ton of cargo. And how long would it take to to do a say a five thousand pound uh, run in re- sort of real time? Um, they're never in adjacent systems. You've always got to probably do uh, a couple of jumps. So I'd say, you know, the time it takes to I don't know launch, do two jumps and dock, which I don't know. You lose track of time. I don't know. It could take like up to ten minutes. Um, but it's it's definitely um, well, it feels more profitable than doing bounty hunting and the federal distress um, when you're doing it with trade, I guess. Okay, well, I mean, we've just said that uh, Mr. Winard from the USA has uh, done quite a few of these, so let's actually invite him on and uh, see what he thinks about it all. So, welcome to the show, Mr. Simon Winard. Hello, Father. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Excellent. What's your forum name? My forum name is Glisteri69. Glisteri69, is that your commander name as well? No, my commander name is Mr. S. Winard. Ah, okay. So if anybody's out there and you see Mr. S. Winard, I think you have everybody's permission to shoot him down <laughs> for being foolish enough to give your commander name out on air. But uh, So you've had a bit more time than uh, most of us to play this, obviously, with the different time zones. What, uh, what sort of missions have you been running? Well, mainly I've been doing a trade mission, but... One thing I will say is, if you go on the galaxy map, they won't let you trade to certain systems with a full hold if you've got a sidewinder. So I noticed on the galaxy map, there's a little slider at the bottom. And if you put that down to one ton, it will let you go further. Now, I found a nice little mission in one of the systems. It only carries one ton of food from a place called Ovid. And you can carry that one ton of food and get 5k for it. Really? Yeah, because if you take more than one ton, you can't make the jump because your cargo holds too full. Ah, okay, fine. But you can actually set the filter on the galactic map to show which jumps you can do within, uh, well, within one ton of uh, cargo. Yeah, or no tons of cargo. Okay, well, and how long would you say is that a single jump or is it a couple of jumps? I'm just trying to figure out in sort of real world time. Yeah, you know, what? Uh, how long it's taking to get that five thousand pounds, uh, five thousand credits rather? Well, it takes. It, it was three jumps, but you can literally jump into the system, turn round at the sun, you know, do a full three sixty, jump again and jump again. So it takes no time at all. But the actual mission specific say you've got four hours to do the mission. Interesting. Okay, and what ship are you currently flying then? At the moment, I'm in a Viper. You're in a Viper, but well on your way to a Cobra. And is that purely just from sort of grinding away on that particular mission? It's purely from grinding on that mission. I did a few trade runs between Orlin and Ibutis, uh, just taking um, fish and things like that. Um, but most of the time, yeah, I've been doing that mission, and I got about 15 to 20k from just doing that mission alone. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, and before we uh, move on to another topic, why don't you tell us what has been the, the standout feature of beta for you so far? The standout feature for beta so far for me is I grinded last night uh, to get the Viper, and I, I just wanted to see all the different systems, and I went to the wired system last night, or weird, or however it's pronounced, and it was like landing in Central Park, the trees and everything like that. It was so rich and lush inside the station. I recommend a visit to anybody who's out there. Great stuff. All right. Well, thanks very much for that, Simon. We'll uh, we'll catch you a little bit later on. Thank you very much.
Okay, so John, what about the uh, the way that the uh, missions are presented? Uh, as I haven't got in, I'm I'm still holding this hope that you, there's a bulletin board with lots of people's uh, computerly generated faces that uh, appear like was in Frontier and First Encounters. Is that how it's presented in beta? Uh, unfortunately, not. Um, oh. I don't know. I don't know if that is going to be their plan um, eventually, but at the moment, it kind of just gels with the kind of user interface that you've seen in previous iterations. Um, it is just like you know a list and then an information panel when you click on stuff. So, um, but yeah, I kind of like those avatars, but um, you know they look a little bit dated now. I guess I don't know how they would do, <laughs> you know how they would spruce that up. You know, are they going to do a, a very similar thing to Frontier where they just have like five faces, five different hair? <laughs> And then it's, it's like a game of Guess Who or something. Oh, come on. It, the, the, it's all about procedural generation. They must be able to do something in this day and age with procedural generated bullets and board faces. I hope so. <laughs> and of course, let's not forget that for those people that uh, placed at a certain level on the Kickstarter, you know, those, uh, those mission people, those, uh, those names will actually be taken from the, uh, from the backers. Actually, yeah, because I uh, saw today uh, a guy called Deluxe Yan. Um, really? So I, yeah, so I don't know whether uh, Commander Yan also put Yan as his NPC name. Be interesting. It'd be interesting to find out as well if they actually are feeding into that system already, or whether or not it's just uh, that's just random chance. Um, but obviously, we talked about missions. We've talked about um, you know how some of them are profitable in terms of the uh, you know, taking you know, item A to uh, to place B. Um, maybe that's a nice segue into the the new trading routes. Um, uh, functionality, which shows up on the uh, the galactic map. How much of that have uh, have you seen, and how useful has it been, John? Um, well, initially, when you're when you're in a sidewinder, um, you, you look at these trade routes, and you're like going, "Oh, that looks brilliant. Uh, I'm going to use that one there because, like, for instance, it'll be um, foodstuffs, which you know are going to be quite cheap, uh, and you see that there's a mass amount of exporting to you know a certain place, um, but there was this, there's this kind of limitation which Simon was talking about, which is that they've built um, they've built into the uh, jump mechanics the mass of your ship fully laden or, or laden with you know whatever cargo, um, and so quite often I saw a route which I couldn't actually do in the Sidewinder, uh, and it's only now that I've got a Viper which has got a more powerful engine that I could probably do those routes. But looking at them, yeah, there's a wealth of information there because it's not just, uh, you don't just work off what you can see in the commodity market with, um, you know, the, the galactic average price. Um, you can actually see the type, you know, entire categories of stuff being massively exported. And so you can get in on that action um, at a glance. Okay, well, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to bring in uh, Mike Snoswell. Um, who's got something to say about fuel? Give me two seconds. Mike, welcome to the show. Mike's muted. There. there you go. Hello, Mike. Call me out there. <laughs> Not a problem. What were you saying about the uh, the changes that they've made in the latest patch? Well, they've, uh, they've uh, this with the fuel for the smaller ships, which I assume means anything up to the hauler. They've upped that, that, that limit so the smaller ships can get to um, more distant systems, so their ranges have been increased. I, I guess that's 
uh, one of the issues that quite a lot of people come up with. I know we had uh, some chats in the Skype group about this earlier today, and that people were finding that they were having to far more hops to get to somewhere. So I think they've they've, they've beefed that up a bit so people can get um, further along quicker. Okay, well, I mean, just stay there for a second, Mike, and let's move on to the next subject, which is the uh, the fuel, which has been added into this iteration as well. How is that uh, working, Ben? How have they implemented it, and how have they costed it all out? I think costing it's it's dirt cheap. I think you can refill your tank on about nineteen credits or something stupid like that. Um, whether that's a deliberate price point at the moment, I have no idea, but I really like it because it's it's limiting how far you can just jump to jump to jump without having to visit a space station. Right. Whereas it's not eating into your profits, though. Okay, well, what about the um, what about the use of it? I mean, obviously, you use fuel all the time. They said that, you know, certainly super crews and stuff would uh, would use fuel as well as hyperspace would use more fuel. Have, can, you, can you see the needle going down when you're super cruising around the, uh, the system? You can see it going down, but it's very, very slow. Um... I, I feel like it's basically the jumping definitely eats your fuel, but I went off and cruised around all of sticks, I think it was, and I used maybe a fifth of my fuel tank. Right. What about you, Mike? Are you finding the same sort of thing? Yeah, I think I think I think I'd agree. Um, basically, when you're super cruising around, you, you have the indicator sort of showing consumption, but the, the actual gauge itself doesn't really. Um, shift at all. It only shifts and by massive amounts when you actually hyperspace from a system to another system. The super cruising didn't really bend into it. And I suppose that makes sense to a degree because of course you're, you, when, you, when you travel two miles down the road to the shops, to Tesco for example, um, you uh, don't really see any, any decrease on your fuel gauge. But if you go to say London or Nottingham, for example, your fuel gauge would go down markedly. So it, it, it's kind of a yes and no situation you like. In some ways, you'd like to see more information, but in other ways, it, 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 it's uh, making perfect sense in terms of it being a, um, a scalar indicator. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we've got something else coming to fuel a little bit later on in terms of the quality of the fuel as well. So it could be that we see that indicator move uh, more rapidly or more quickly, depending on you know, whether or not it's uh, it's premium fuel that you bought from the station or stuff that you've scooped or you know, maybe stuff you bought on the black market as well. So these are all sort of little facets that will come in with fuel. But at the moment, certainly the, the, the feedback seems to be that fuel at the moment is it's a nice to have, but it hasn't really changed gameplay too much, which is uh, which is quite good. Um, Okay, Mike, before we let you go... In, sorry, I just wanted to add in that I think that with fuel, it's only cheap because we're using such small ships as small fuel tanks, I dare say, as people start getting into the bigger ships, fuel will become... the cost will uh, become a bit more noticeable. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, Mike, before we let you go, uh, what's been your standout uh, feature from Beta? Oh, gosh. I, I think I think suppose the... Um the look of the game now, it, it's become more intense, you know, everything's more vibrant. If you look at, look at the station, for example, there's a lot more going on in terms of lights and, and activity going on. And it, it, it's just, and all the um, orbit lines and the, and the targeting, it's just more vibrant and, and it's more, um, it's not arcadey, which is, which is, which is, it can, you have, have that risk of going that way and making things brighter, but it, it certainly makes it more, 
much easier to see. Also, the experience is a lot better. The, one, somebody men- someone mentioned earlier in the um, Skype group about the sort of shimmering when you hit um, an opposition shield, for example. That's really good, good cool. And also, when um, ships explode, you get a, a real sense of the, of the air bubble going as well, and the shock waves that really, really up the game a bit on, on, on the graphics, I think. Great stuff. Thanks for that, Mike. We'll catch you in a bit. Cheers. Okay, I mean, talking about the the graphics, and maybe this is a good way of uh, moving on to a slightly sort of uh, separate topic, and that's um, the the Oculus. And obviously, yeah, the Oculus and Elite Dangerous has kind of gone hand in hand, as it's been a really good showcase for the uh, for the technology. Uh, the Oculus Rift Developer Kit 2 has just landed with quite a lot of people, and yeah, you know, the uh, it's almost sort of landed at exactly the same time as uh, as Beta is being launched. So. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in uh, Nick, uh, known as Bewilderbeast, uh, who's actually one of the lucky few to have a DK2 to tell us a little bit more about the ramifications of that with the latest build. So, hello, Nick. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I'm very good. I have literally just taken off the rift from my head. I've spent the last half hour listening to you guys and uh, immersing myself in the Federal Distress Beacon. (laughs) Uh, Well... Maybe start us off, mate. Maybe uh, I mean people are aware of what the the, Rift, the Oculus Rift does these days, but maybe just give us a little bit of uh, an insight as to the d- changes that's been made between DK1 and DK2. Right. So the so the biggest changes have been uh, the inclusion of positional tracking. So now you can lean left and right. You can uh, uh, move your head forward and back, and you've got you've got three extra degrees of freedom, as they say. So uh, you've got. Uh, a, a much more natural way of uh, feeling you're included in the environment. Um, and th- the funny thing about that is um, when when you first get to try that and uh, experience what it's like to, uh, to to move your head left and right as well as uh, twisting it, you know, your pitch and roll, um, you quickly, really quickly uh, figure out that uh, your brain just accepts it, and it's almost like uh, the whole process is devalued. So you you don't actually think it's as powerful as it is because you just go, well, surely it always worked like that. And, and I think it's only when you go back to the original DK one that you will go, my God, how did we ever deal with uh, with, with that lack of uh, um, uh, position in in space? Um, so in terms of um sort of as you say moving your head forward and back i mean can you in game actually lean closer to your dashboard yes uh, and and actually you still need to do that because uh the other thing that that this uh hardware revision has brought is a is a much improved uh screen so you've gone from 1280 by 800 to 1920 by 1080 so you've got a full hd panel wow. but even then uh you still can't read all the text it's it's extremely awkward so actually in a in a sort of bizarre you know needing your spectacles kind of way you find yourself <laughs> leaning in to, to see things in your own cockpit you're like what's that <laughs> Oh, dude, just have all this, this image of all these Rift uh, users sort of being a little bit like Mr. Magoo and uh, leaning forward to try and read what's uh, who they're docking with or who they're shooting at. Um, exactly, squinting, yeah, it's very <laughs> weird. Um, what about, uh, I mean, what, how has the, uh, the, you know, the increase in detail and obviously that tracking um, affected things like, I don't know, motion sickness or, or immersion into the game in general? 
Well, yeah, that's a really interesting point. That uh, I, I think what this has done is it's been two steps forward and perhaps uh, one back as well. Uh, and I'd liken it to being uh, in the uncanny valley. So, uh, so if you're familiar with that, it's the concept yeah. of as you get closer and closer to being able to render human faces in in CG, uh, you're uh, at some point it gets so uncannily close, and your brain uh, almost rejects that on a on a sort of a very low low level, a psycho you know a sort of subconscious level. You go, oh, that's not right, uh, and you can't necessarily articulate why, but but your brain does that. Um, the same is true for this now that uh, uh, that when it works, you you are absolutely in the cockpit of this Cobra. It is it is unbelievably real to you. Uh, and when something happens that breaks that, so your frame rate drops or you lean out of the the uh, the field of view that you can be tracked within, so suddenly you stop moving your head around, then it's incredibly costly. Like uh, that, your your um, the motion sickness that you feel in those jarring moments is far far more intense than it was in DK1, uh, and I, and in, in a funny kind of way. Uh, that I felt earlier on that uh, when flight assist was off, I got dizzy because I couldn't stabilize my ship. I've never felt like that before. Uh, but it's it, it's such an odd sensation. What about, um, I mean, I always struggle with DK1 just purely because of the low resolution. But uh, even on the DK1, one of the sort of the standout moments for me is when you're docking and you're going into the space station. Um, now that we've got the improved screen and the DK2 and obviously the improved uh, interiors of the space station, what are they like to fly around in? Yeah, they are terrific. I mean, uh, they, they've uh, hats off to the graphics guys. You know that they're of, uh, oftentimes the unsung heroes of, of game dev, but they have done an amazing job. Uh, getting the graphics engine up to to rendering for the most part 75 frames a second that you need on the rift to to give you that stable view um and yeah it, it is it is terrific stuff I, I tell you another odd thing about scale that uh that i noted down from from earlier uh i spent a bunch of time in the federal distress beacon in erinin uh, around the impeccable and the impeccable is a is a gigantic ship and and the resolution is now at a point where it, it looks slightly odd in that you yeah. don't have any depth of field issues. So, you know, if, if that was in the front of me in the real world, if I focused on the front bit of it, there's no way that a kilometer behind it, that would be in focus as well. Um, so there's yeah, some obvious things to go, you know, th there's obviously some things to go here, things uh, to develop and, and get better, but it is a terrific leap forward. It really is. And uh, if any of uh, the listeners are, are familiar with the... Uh, the Reddit, uh, the Oculus Reddit uh, subreddit, uh, there are a ton of people in there who've got their DK2 and are part of Elite Dangerous Beta and are just singing its praises like nothing I've seen. Nah, it's phenomenal. I mean, uh, I can't wait to get my hands on one of them. I think I am probably going to wait for the consumer release at this stage. But I mean, one of the things that's just been uh, mentioned in the chat room is uh, what's the Oculus Rift like in, uh, in hyperspace? Because even the DK1... Uh, going through hyperspace with uh, with an Oculus Rift on was was really quite beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't think that's changed much. Uh, that that you can uh, now you can shift your head around the cockpit a bit. You can get some interesting views and and sort of crane around. But uh, I, I wouldn't say that's changed a, a great deal. Okay, and what another question quickly coming in from the chat room, which is uh, what's the Oculus Rift like for people that wear specs goggles or glasses? 
so this model has a much, much better way of uh, giving a bit of space between your eyes and the lenses. So there's an adjustable uh, set of um, uh, sort of sprockets on each side that you can put a little, uh, you know, one penny coin in or something and, and uh, ratchet it out or in as you need. Uh, so that that I think is greatly improved, and and it would definitely work better for people who have um, uh, glasses. Although they do recommend in the documentation uh, that you get with it that you should have um, lenses really to get the best out of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, last question before we let you go, mate. Uh, one of the things that was in the change logs, the mammoth change log that Michael Brooks posted, was uh, changes to the uh, to the pilot animations, uh, increases and changes to that. Have you seen any new uh, new animations from your pilot to Avatar? I I have not. But one of the funniest things you can now do is uh, you can have your own out of body experience, where if you uh, if you uh, crouch down in your chair and then hit the F12 button to reset the orientation. You can then literally stand up in your own chair, crane around and look at your body from, from outside of it. And you figure you've got no head. You are in com a completely headless pilot and it, it's the weirdest looking thing. Oh boy, I've got to see some screenshots of that. Yeah, there's. I think I've put that up in the forum somewhere. Um, uh, so if you... Uh, if you look for a thread, um, a DK2 thread in the forums, uh, there's a post that's been made by me, uh, Bewilderbeast, uh, containing exactly that headless headless view. <laughs> okay, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes as well. So uh, before we let you go, mate, what's been your standout feature for uh, Beta 1? It has to be the social and chat features. It's just uh, brought uh, brought the universe alive like nothing else. Brilliant. That's great, because that's a wonderful segue in what we're going to talk about next. But uh, for the time being, thanks very much, Nick. Thank you. Great stuff. Okay, so uh, as Nick mentioned there, the uh, inclusion of uh, friend matching and in-game communications is new to Beta 1 as well. So, uh, John, have you been making many friends? Um, no, I haven't yet, actually. As I said earlier, I, I played for stability purposes. I stayed in a private group for a lot of my testing earlier, so I didn't meet any players. Um, but, to be fair, um, I haven't been griefed by anybody. Nobody's um, nobody's sent me a, a voice message to tell me I'm a noob or anything like that. So, um, I don't know, maybe there'll be some friendly chat at some point this evening um, when I go back to the populated systems, because I'm kind of out out a little bit at the moment. Okay, well let's take the two uh, the two parts in isolation then. So uh, we've now got friend matching in beta, which is something that we've always struggled with up to this point. It's always been a bit of a, a hit and miss process, and you had to kind of check and see what server you were running on, and you know, kept on and, and keep on basically jumping in and out and try and match up servers. So how does the uh, the friend matching dynamic work in the latest build, mate? Well, it seems to work pretty well. Um, Earlier on, before we started uh, recording, I went to the Federal Distress um, because everybody in the uh, TeamSpeak channel was in there uh, and because they were on my friends list, I was matched with them. So that works as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, a bit more testing is required, um, but um, I've got high hopes for it because it was one of the most um, uh, frustrating things for me, yeah. you know, because you know when I did have time to play the game, you know, my brothers got it, and we wanted to be able to go and do these different combat scenarios together. And you'd spend half an hour just jumping in and out, trying to get into the same instance, um, and that seems to be solved now. Well, okay, I mean, 
Yeah, absolutely right what you're talking about there. But I mean, when I've seen um, those sort of instances of going out to these, you know, like the Federal Distress Beacon, I've only mainly seen, I know, up until recently, a, sort of like a maximum of maybe four players out there, four um, human players. So with the the friend matching system, how many people did you see in the instance at any one time? Um, well, tonight I think at one point I saw about four people, but I don't know, maybe our experiences are varied because in the last build... Um, I got into a federal distress and there was at least 10 players in there so um, I don't know uh, it might be you know to do with throttling if it recognizes your bandwidth is quite low, low or something I don't know it, it puts you in another instance but um, I, I thought as far as seeing other players go I didn't really have a problem in the last build Okay, well, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in Commander... I'm going to get his name wrong again. Uh, Commander Rektar uh, in, because I believe he's had uh, a slightly different experience with uh, with getting friends together. So, hello, Commander Rektar. Oh, God. Rektar. <laughs> Rektar. Rektar. So, tell us about it. Your, your friend matching system, who are you matching up with? Um, well, I'm... Part of the uh, first great expedition, and we had a kind of mass get together tonight. Okay, so the first great expedition. Do you want to just give us a quick bit of background on that for the people that aren't aware of it? Yeah, that's um, a group of people were interested in exploring. So it's the first expedition, and it's big, so it's the first great expedition. And we're going to go so far away, we won't get bothered by pirates basic idea. Uh, yeah, it's just a group of people who want to get together and how far we can get um, in exploring and yeah, better to do it together because on your own Okay, so it's almost like uh, like the old west and the caravan setting off to the uh, to the wilderness then, is it? Yes, well, something like that, yeah. You've got, you've got to have scouts, you've got to have uh, you know, get your wagons into a circle <laughs> and hope not to meet any Thargoids whilst you're out there but uh, how many people did you have going at the same time? Um, well in the team speak we had uh, 31 people at one point all of which were in the same group um, I think I saw 15 or 16 people at one time in one place Okay. tonight So, but we were all kind of around and whenever we jumped from one system to another, we just found each other. Brilliant. Okay, so it is obviously working. It's certainly a, a damn sight better than what we've had uh, previously. Yes. So, um, yeah. what about your standout feature for Beta? At the moment, it was the first time I jumped to a star, and it was like, "Wow, look at that!" Because <laughs> it, it just looks so with all the uh, the solar flares and everything. Uh, you just come into the system, bang, and there's, there's this huge ball of fire with, with flares shooting out of it all over the place, and it's like, wow, fantastic. Brilliant. I, I can't tell you how jealous I am about the, the fact that you guys are playing this and I'm not, so uh, on that note, I'm going to get rid of you. Uh, but thanks very <laughs> much. All right, it's a pleasure, Paul. <laughs> catch you in a bit. Right, okay, so uh, moving on from matching friends then, that does seem to be working, which is great news. Um, what about in-game communications, uh, Ben? Take us through this. How does this work? Right, I've, there's two kinds of in-game communications that we've seen. First of all, as John was mentioning, you've got your friends list. Now, when you bring up your comms button, 
that's something you've got to go off and define yourself. So I've gone off and defined it with C because the super cruise key is not needed anymore. So you press bring up your comms window and then you can see your list of your friends and then you can also see a list of everybody nearby you. It looks like you should be able to select your friend and then talk to them, but you can't yet, or at least I've not figured out how to. Right. On the other hand, when you go off and select nearby people, which also includes the space stations and NPCs, you can go off and say initiate text chat or initiate a voice chat, and I assume that goes off and does what it says in the tin. Um, I've sent off a few messages to oh, Commanders Vigor and Astrodamus, but they've ignored me, so I don't actually know if it works. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure they, they told me in the Skype channel earlier, it works fine, mate, they're just ignoring you. Oh, I thought it was. <laughs> uh, just quickly, you mentioned there that the, the C button's no longer needed. Why is that? Well, they've gone off and basically put everything in everything to do with your frameshift drive into the frameshift drive button, which is the J button by default. Okay, so what is it? Press it once to go into... Uh... Press it. You, if you have a system selected, then you press it and you'll go off and just initiate the hyperspace jump. Otherwise, okay. you'll slide into Super Cruise. Okay, well, that seems to make a little bit more sense. Yep, it seems to make sense. It's just the w annoying thing is that I'm having at the moment is I'm coming out of Super Cruise, and of course I'm trying to line up with the space station, coming down to 30 kilometers, 10 kilometers, and then I press C button by default <laughs> and fly right past. Okay, what about um, what about the quality of the uh, of the voice comms in the game? I couldn't actually say about that because I haven't tried it yet. Okay, John, have you tried actually talking to someone? been doing everything through TeamSpeak. Um, I guess it's going to be one of those things that I'm going to have to force myself to try it. Um, and then I can, you know, if it's good, then I'll, you know, consider using it more if I want to meet new people. Yeah. But I guess at the moment, <clears throat> they need to work a little bit more on, you know, if they, if, if they want to implement group chat, you know, that needs to be done. Um, they may not want to do it because obviously they, they've been a bit... Um, cautious about guilds and things like that so that kind of group chat is only possible through TeamSpeak so you know we'll see how it goes if they do implement it and it's a good implementation then yeah sure I'll use it but um, I think that you're kind of reinventing the wheel when it comes to group chat I can see the benefits of having that one-to-one -one. if you're in a system with someone you can open up a communications channel with them and see them directly whether they're a friend of yours or not but you know, I, I don't know if there really is a requirement for, for, for a group chat because it already exists. Okay, so I mean, that's a little bit of confusion on my part then because I thought in system you could actually already do uh, voice communications within the game itself. Is that not the case? Yeah, what you do is you select a single person. So it's like a, it's a, it's a dialogue rather than a group chat if you wanted, say, you know, you and three mates together in, in a Chats. In a wing, yeah. Yeah, talking to each other while you're playing, you know, because you might be in different systems doing different things, yeah. but still want to talk to each other. That that doesn't exist at the moment. Okay, but you haven't actually tried out the one-to-one the, the -to, -one to see whether the, the in-game chat actually works or, well, or what you the know, quality's like. I, uh, you know, I'm scared of rejection. <laughs> you know, if it, what if they didn't answer, or what if they did answer and tell me to go away or something, you know, um, you know... <laughs> So 
it, it's it's all me. It's 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 my problem, not anyone else's. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, well, we'll leave you and your insecurities behind and uh, move on to the next topic. Uh, just a quick one, actually, uh, and this is around the the size of the the universe. Um, Obviously, when we were in the, the premium beta, we had, I think it was something like six or, or seven systems that we could actually fly around in. Uh, what is the scope of the uh, of the beta universe? Well, so now um, it's like 50-odd um, systems, uh, and it is massive. I mean, it is... Um, I, well, I haven't got around to them all yet. I mean, I've just <laughs> been basically trading within... You know the, the seven or eight systems that we had in the last beta. It's only now that I'm talking to you that I've started jumping around to some some of the more um, uh, exotic locations. I've just found uh, uh, somewhere that exports narcotics, so um, I'm looking at that at the moment as a way to generate some more cash. Um, but yeah, as as Ben said, you know it's definitely worth traveling out because that's where you're going to start seeing the new stuff. Um, you know all the different types of stations and, and the different types of economies um, so yeah and just quickly on those stations is it still the case that each system still only has the, uh, the single uh, station or have they implemented uh, more than one station per system yet I I couldn't say without visiting them all um, so, far, so far I've only, um, only seen one station per system but uh, I dare say that, that some of these places will have more than one. Um, I believe actually that in the game files, um, Iota Cruxis, which we don't access anymore, it was in the single player, actually has two stations in it, but we can't access it at the mo mo moment. Okay, well, we're actually coming to. A, oh. oh, go for it. Yeah, and a couple of observations on that. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's a change to the code or if it's because of the extra number of players. Um, but the thing I'm finding with this tonight is when you, you know how when you'd fly inside a station, you'd see landing pads lit up for other people that have requested docking? Yep. Um, now when you fly in, it's, it's like a kind of inverted Christmas tree. There are <laughs> dozens of landing pads lit up and it's much more of a challenge. You're actually reading the numbers now to kind of try and figure out which one it is you're heading for because previously you know there were only two or three lit up and it was fairly easy to find now it's just a sea of docking pads um and the other thing i've noticed playing it tonight um i've already made more money since we've been sitting here than i made in a week really how much have you managed um, to bring in well I'm, I'm only up to well hang on i haven't sold what i'm currently carrying but i'd say at a conservative estimate i'm up to about three grand now Mm. having started with a thousand now one of the things i've noticed is that the margins on some of the um some of the goods seem to be very different um i mean the chap earlier was talking about fish you know i was at i was at one system and i could see that the system price for fish was half of the galactic average so there was something like they were selling them for like 300 credits and the galactic average was like 700 and it was right. fairly obvious to me that I could make a very quick buck just doing a run on that. Whereas I found in the previous version of the, certainly in the alpha, you know, I was lucky to be making 10, 20% markup on trading. Um, Got you. So now with these new prices, even with the Sidewinder, like I say, I've made a couple of grand in really only two or three jumps. 
Well, okay, so this, mate. Well, I mean, this might explain why people are getting into some of the higher ships so quickly. <laughs> More than likely. <laughs> well, as you've been sat there beavering away, uh, maybe it's a good a good opportunity for you to give us your views on on what you found different. Uh, what's your what's your current standout feature in the last sort of half an hour or forty five minutes you've been playing it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure how much of a good eye I've got for things. People talk about graphical improvements. Um, I don't know if the cockpit is prettier or if it's just darker. One of the first things that struck me is that the brightness seemed to be down a bit. Um, yeah, there's a few, you know, obvious changes. You've got a fuel gauge now above where you had the little lights for landing gear and cargo scoop. You've got a quick glance fuel gauge. You've also got a light that shows when you're mass locked, which is a bit more helpful. Um, the Yeah, the blue tint people were talking about. I'm not sure... I think there's been, I think there's a slight glow around the kind of the, where you can see all the stars on the galactic disc. Um, there seems to be a bit more of a kind of glow around that. So I don't think it's necessarily that the space has gone blue or whether it's just when you're heading towards that, you've got a bit of a kind of, I don't know if it's a lighting effect or what. Um, yeah, and it's interesting as well. The, 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 I've been trying to get my head around this thing people have been talking about about this kind of allowed jump distance. Um, it's funny because when you bring up the navigation menu and you start looking at the, the sort of trade runs between stars, um, it's actually quickly very obvious when you're in a sidewinder that a lot of these systems that are showing really obvious trade routes, they are, they are beyond what you can do in a sidewinder in a single jump. Um, so it's perhaps <laughs> not... It's perhaps not quite the um, the sudden new way of making money that, that you might initially think it is. Um, <laughs> but again, like John, I mean, I'm finding a little bit of kind of uh, agoraphobia with the universe. I'm, I'm I'm struggling to jump out of my comfort zone and visit a system that wasn't in the previous version, uh, which I really should do. But I mean, the the missions as well are interesting. I mean, um, there are obviously some that. I mean, the, the the accept button isn't isn't lit up for ones that you can't do. A bit like in Frontier when you try and go to do a job and they'd say, uh, you know, you're not really what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that's not maybe obvious in the wording is that this sufferers is like grain needed. They're obviously expecting you to go to another system, pick it up and come back. Uh, and there's this concept of a time limit. So for something as simple as that, you know, you might have an hour of game time uh, to go and pick this thing up and come back. But one of the things that was interesting on the, the forums um, was there was a kind of request for if you've taken on a job, which it says will take, you know, a couple of hours to do, if you have to disconnect for any reason, you know, does the counter stop? Um, yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm not sure quite what the person was saying, whether they were suggesting that the job times out while you're logged out of the game. Um, or whether they had a forced crash and the game didn't realise they'd left or or who knows what. But um, that's something that we'll need to have a bit more of a look into because I don't fully understand it. Um, no, I agree with that. That's something that needs to be ironed out. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I um, I went and had a search for the, the star system that's in my uh, short story in Tales from the Frontier. Um, and is in, it in? Yeah, it's not in the playable area, but I've, I've been and had a... It's a, it's a long way away. <laughs> Very deliberately so. I mean, I requested a system for the short story that was 
a long way from civilization. And sure enough, it is a long way from civilization. And what about the write-up for it? Has that, has, you know, has that uh, been properly implemented? Uh, not, no, not in this version. But it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's such a long way out of the playable area. I can't see that being high up, <laughs> high up their list. Um, I'm interested to know, you know, at this stage, how the database of stars is working. Because Michael did say to me he'd added it to the database, but you don't know with the way Frontier are working, you know, whether they have multiple databases, you know, like, you know, even in IT stuff that I've done, you have a dev server, a test server, uh, and a release server. So um, it'd be interesting to know, you know, kind of how often that um, galactic database gets kind of updated over to the version that everyone's playing. Um, yeah, absolutely. And if you're thinking about you guys suffering from agoraphobia now with 50 systems, then just imagine what it's going to be like when you've got 400 billion. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I had it even with uh, Frontier. I, I, you know, I did. I mean, I did explore around a bit, but I, you know, my gameplay habits, I did tend to kind of stay around certain hubs. Um, the only time I really went off on much more of a jaunt was when I was kind of moving from Federation to Imperial space. That always seemed to take a few. Uh, a few little jumps to actually get down there, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, um, I think I think we said this on the previous podcast or the one before. Um, you know, hopefully, there will be things that encourage you to travel outside the normal groups of sis- systems that you uh, frequent. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and actually, the, the little talk you had there about. <laughs> Try that again. You can tell it's getting late in the show. Um, the little po- the point you made there about. Um, uh, you know, your uh, your fiction brings us on quite nicely to uh, to the the fact that you know, Frontier Development have actually launched a new website to go along with the the game, uh, a new marketing website. So you can now go to EliteDangerous.com uh, and see the latest trailers and the latest uh, peak of the weeks and stuff like that. But one of the questions that we uh, had been discussing uh, in the last couple of days is, you know, what's the what's the scope uh, for this? this particular sort of uh, website I mean is it just going to be a marketing tool or are we hoping that you know Frontier Developments actually use this and, and turn it into something a little bit more special uh, something that maybe goes into a bit about the you know the fiction or, or what's going on in real term uh, in real time within the the game universe uh, I'm going to bring Alan back into this because the poor guy hasn't had much to say at all actually I think he might have actually disconnected because he's had so little to say Alan has left the call well, that's a shame. Okay. So, this website is this the one with the the kind of the video trailers going on in the background? Yes, it is. So, okay, so I, was, I wasn't totally clear on what we were talking about. Yeah. So, this is the new website that they've launched, and again, at the moment, it's just showing trailers and videos and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, you know, what's what is the scope of that? I mean, we looked at, we've seen all of the um, you know the Galnet stuff that's coming out and these newsletters. Would we like to see a portal? Um, similar to what they maybe have in, say, EVE Online, that actually tells you what's going on within the, the game universe, a little snapshot as to what's going on. Um, Chris, what do you reckon? Yeah, it'd be an interesting, it'd be an interesting thing. It'd be interesting as if it was a kind of mix of uh, a tool for players. I mean, people sometimes talk about like a mobile API so yeah. that you can see what's going on with, with markets and stuff. It'd be nice if they could strike a balance between it being a useful practical tool for players to gain a window into what's going on in the universe at that moment, but also something that will intrigue outsiders to the game and be accessible enough that people would look at what's going on and think kind of, 
oh yeah that, that looks really interesting you know I might try this game <laughs> sorry cut that no it's quite alright you can tell that you've got a young child that's not going to sleep that's fine yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, I mean the first thing that, that, that does kind of strike me about it it's actually kind of not related to the game because we obviously came into this talking about the fiction. Um, I thought you were going to say that, that currently you can't buy any of the um, official novels through the no, Elite that's a good Dangerous point. Store. Yeah, that's also and, a good point. And that'd be nice to see. I mean, you know, it's not. It, it sounds like the sort of thing I should be sorting, seeing as I'm, I'm working on it. But obviously, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not the publisher, and obviously, it's not all. You know, it'd be nice to see all the books, regardless of publisher. Um, you know, on there, so that people who are, who come to the website looking at the game, kind of see, oh, there's books. Um, whereas at the moment, obviously, we're relying on things like the the newsletters to signpost people to, um, you know, Amazon or to Fantastic Books Publishing. Yeah. Um, to get those, it'd be, yeah, it'd be nice to see them on there. Um, but I mean, talking about uh, talking about the fiction of the universe, and Alan, welcome back. I, I'm sorry you uh, you lost your connection just as we were trying to segue over and let you come back into the conversation. We're talking about the the new website that Frontier Development have launched, and what's its potential other than a marketing portal uh, for giving a bit of an insight into you know what's going on in the game universe in terms of the fiction. So, I mean, could it be that you could get you know, some of the writers there, or you know, even some of the writers that's done some of the the fiction to, you know, add extra little bits of snippets about what's going on in terms of the politics at the time between the, you know, the Federation, the Empire, and you know the independent planets, just to sort of give a bit of flavour about what's going on in the game universe. Alan, what's your thoughts? Alan hasn't figured out the push to talk button, so we'll wait. No, no, we'll, wait it, for, we'll wait for Alan to come back. No, here. no, there's, there's, there's a message. There's a message from him in Skype saying good night, chaps. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that would be, that would end up as a blooper if I was actually planning on editing this podcast, which I'm not. So, uh, oh, really? Chris, we'll... So my yawn stays in, does it? Your yawn um, stays in. Yeah, no, he's basically said he, the whole network's gone down uh, kind of in his house uh, and he's struggling to get online and um, and obviously it being... Uh, probably, I mean, maybe the network's gone down because it is so hot in his loft. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've lost Alan for the time being. Okay, well, that's fine. Well, maybe... Chris, I mean, if you want to pick it up, and if anybody in the chat channel wants to chime in on this as well, uh, what do you reckon? Do you reckon it would be a good place to have that sort of information? Well, I was yeah, going I mean, to say, say one thing, which was that um, one of the comments that has been made uh, by one of the new beta backers, um, I mean, okay, obviously this is a beta, so, you know, it's not complete, but um, he felt that, you know, jumping into, you know, these battles and things like that, and you've got two factions it's it's so dry at the moment there's no information about them so it's kind of hard to care and to get involved and you know actually because you know on the forums there's people saying oh i'm going to be an imperial there's people saying oh i'm going to be federal um but that's because you know they they're aware of the previous games and you know all of the law surrounding that a lot of pe- a lot of these people haven't necessarily done all that so they're looking for this game to kind of give them some narrative, and obviously at the moment it's just all game mechanics that doesn't exist. So I, you know, I'm quite interested to find out what, inf- you know, what are they going to do within, you know, the final game, which is going to kind of get people involved with the factions and actually want to bother with that kind of thing. Like an ongoing sort of Cold War type of thing, or. <sighs> No, I mean, you can already kind of see that exists in Iranin, you know, because you've all you've got these federal 
um, distress. You know, you've got this incursion by the Federation, um, and that's what you can kind of guess at, and that's what's been provided to us by the newsletter. But there's no information apart from that, really. Um, and obviously, you know, Michael Brooks, you know, he's keen on the fiction, obviously. Um, so I'm just wondering how are they going to convey that information within the game um, in, in a way that's kind of, you know, um, it you know really motivates people to, to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ben, what's your thoughts on that? I was just wondering, is that not something that the missions help in? Because I saw there were some missions which it looks like it is basically saying the Federation is hiring you to go off to Iranin, kill a bunch of the Iranin scum, and report back. I haven't read too much about it, but I'm just wondering, do things like that not help? Helps, but maybe they just need, you know, a little bit more. You know, because for instance, we all know the difference between the Federation, you know, it's, it's like a corporate state, basically. But that doesn't really get communicated at the moment to somebody who's just coming straight to this game that at the moment this sector of space that we're flying around in for the beta doesn't include either imperial or federal space now one of the things that i think you know on the basis of what they've talked about it's all the way through development about the empire and the federation having a very different look it'll be interesting to see what those space stations look like once we get into imperial and federal space whether there is a huge difference in the you know the look and feel of these places and whether when you're in say an imperial system you know if you were to suddenly find yourself in a space station and look out the window whether you could tell at a glance just from the culture around you whether you're in imperial space because i think even though that doesn't necessarily give you a a huge background or a political grounding in what that faction is about it, it gives that factional identity uh, and it helps you to kind of visualize what their difference is um whereas obviously the space we're in at the moment is kind of i don't know i don't know if it's border space or um you know just a kind of independent industrial area um but there's not i'm, I'm not seeing in the designs of the space stations we've got around that those 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 differences between federation and imperial that have been talked about throughout development if i had to plumb for either i'd say that the stations we're currently flying around have more of a federal look um, there is there it is bordering on federal space there's quite a few federal systems yeah yeah no yeah that's a valid point actually from the um galactic map it does say federation so you know i think once we start seeing imperial systems come into the game i don't know maybe we'll get more of a feel for you know where the difference is in that well that's it for this special live episode of Lave Radio for Beta 1 thanks to Alan to John to Chris and to Ben thanks to the chat channel and thanks to Simon Mike and Nick for coming on the show if you'd like to get involved with the show you can email us at info at laveradio.com at Lave Radio on Twitter facebook.com forward slash Lave Radio on Skype look for Fozza 101 and the new Lave Radio TeamSpeak server which is laveradio.teamspeak.com Three, that's teamspeak number three.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Is your life like this? Is that like some kind of origin certainty? <laughs> uh,
safe one. Two seconds, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> 